Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along. Summer mornings. Julian King with you. And it's great to have your company on SEN 1170 AM. To our friends in Queensland, tuning in via SEN Q693 in Brisbane and 1620 on the Gold Coast. And of course, across the globe via the SEN app. Look, given we are now a week into the new year and I was on air January 2nd, no more Happy New Year wishes. I debated this at the time. Let's just get to 2024 with a bang. The weather across the listening area, Sydney today, max 29, cloudy. High chance of rain in the afternoon and evening. Brisbane tops of 30 with a shower or two. Had a bit of rain for the cricket last night. The Gold Coast, max 29, shower or two. On the program today, there is so much happening in the world of tennis. Brett Phillips, our resident tennis expert here on the SE Network, will be along to talk all things tennis. The Australian Open gets underway this coming weekend. Devastating Nadal news, of course, as we heard last night. And Hasn't the Demon impressed Alex Demonor? So he's knocked off Novak and Zverev. Two really likeable blokes too. In the space of a week, throw Taylor Fritz into that equation too. And now the Demon's going to meet his goal of being a top 10 player. And Betty Graham, he's going to be here to talk NFL. The player picture's taking shape. And Daniel Cherney from Code Sports as well will be here to check all things leather and willow. Got a loose unit with me today too, Buck Chuck, so I'm not sure which direction that's going to take. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Would love to hear from you throughout the course of the morning. And give me a call as well. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number. Free call. And sadly, look, we start with injury news today. No one likes it. Fans don't. Coaches don't. Organisers don't. But we are down a couple of big ones. Firstly, Sam Kerr, Matilda's captain. She, Sammy, has ruptured her anterior cruciate ligament while in mid-season training with Chelsea. Unlikely to play at the Paris Olympics if Australia earns a qualification, which they will. So Tony Gustafsson, Matilda's coach, he said it was a massive hit to the team's hopes of making the Paris games, and he said, TG, considering how hard Sam has worked over the past six months to return to play, it's a devastating blow. Of course, she had that hamstring injury. Sorry, hamstring, the, the calf injury during the World Cup. Our focus now is on ensuring she has all the support she wants and needs to navigate recovery and rehab. So it's incredible loss for the national team. She's irreplaceable, Sam Kerr. So she's already been ruled out of the second half of Chelsea's Women's Super League and the European Champions League campaigns, as well as Australia's AFC Women's Olympic qualifiers. That's against Uzbekistan next month, a sellout at Marvel Stadium. And the Matildas only need to win the two-league tie against Uzbekistan. They're ranked 47 to qualify for, for Paris. Now, we don't want to count our chickens, of course, but assume that they do that. What a bitter blow. Bitter blow. So the football tournament at the Games takes place from July 24 to August 10. No chance. They haven't officially ruled her out, but very rare, of course, 
for a player to return from an ACL with less than nine months of rehab often takes a bit longer. So, look, I'll get everyone, all Australian sports fans, to pray for a miracle. Do what you need to do. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but, look, who knows? Who knows? And then to the tennis, we've got Rafa. Nadal, this is a thing that's been mentioned in various news articles, and we don't want to be negative about this, but he may, Rafael Nadal, never play in Australia again, given his age, after withdrawing from the Australian Open with a new injury. Not an old one, not a recurrence of of an old one, but a new one. He hasn't played since last year's Australian Open because of a hip injury. Returned to Brisbane this week, then announced last night that he's out of the AO. 22-time Grand Slam champion, former world number one, revealed last year 2024 would probably be his last. That's a thing. He's backtracked a little bit in the last week, and maybe in light of this injury, he wants one more crack at the Australian Open, and I hope he does. I really hope he does. He's one of the most likeable blokes on the tour, Rafa. And he said, look, during my last match in Brisbane, had a small problem on a leg muscle, made him worried, got to Melbourne, had the MRI, micro tear on a muscle. Interestingly, not the same part where he had the injury. So he said that's good news. I mean, this is part of getting old, isn't it? Different parts of the body start to ache and hurt. But basically, he said, look, I'm not ready to compete at the maximum level in five-set matches. And it's, these are difficult decisions for professional sports players to make because they desperately want to compete. They don't want to let the fans down. Kyrgios is in the same boat. And I saw a tweet from Kyrgios last night. It said, heartbreaking for Rafa. Get well soon, mate. You know, I'm in the same boat. You, you want to play, but you just can't risk the injury. Because if you inflame it or it gets worse, it knocks you out 6, 12 months, for all we know. He's worked very, very hard, and he's had a host of injury concerns throughout his career, Rafa. He said his goal is to be at his best level in three months. As I said, hard to know if we're going to see him down under again. He said this will be his last year. Hopefully, in light of this, he'll have one last tilt for 2025. God, I hope so. But yeah, look, Sam Kerr, Rafa Nadal, that sucks, big time. 0457 736 736. Okay, to the cricket. I was out there day two. Unfortunately, it was the most boring day of the entire test match. Here's what it is. No rest for the wicked, as they say. So the Aussie test boys, a brief spell before they turn our attention to the first test against the West Indies in Adelaide. A vacancy sign up in the dressing room, of course. And with the team going to be named tomorrow, we are all getting our selectors caps on to determine who might be the man to replace David Warner. And also, not who might be, who you think the selectors are going to go with, but who you think should replace David Warner. Because an opener who can go at 70 runs per 100 balls is not so easily replaced, of course. And this is the conundrum. Do you look at a like-for-like, somebody that goes at a quick clip, or do you pick the specialist and say, well, you can't replace a Warner, so don't try and find somebody? And during the Sydney test, you know, Peter Lawler and others revealed, well, courtesy of Shane Watson, I think, was his mail, that Steve Smith has been considered an option. And I love Steve Smith. He's certainly not the smudge of 2019, and by his own admission, he looks bogged down. He's overthinking things. He's, he's getting out the balls, Smith, that he wouldn't normally get out to. And I've been talking of Smith's decline for a while now. Now, we must say, look, he's coming off an extremely high pace. Let's not forget, you know, arguably the best since Bradman. He still averaged 43 last calendar year, so he's not bad. He's still integral to the side. He's still very, very good. He's just less good. And he's admitted to it. And he's also admitted he'd be open to a move up to the top of the order. 
open to it, pardon the pun. Pat Cummins, interestingly, is loath to disrupt the middle order that's been so functional for Australia. Many have plumped for the specialist opener. Bancroft has his admirers, and we'll hear a bit of what Bancroft had to say shortly. And the thing about Cam, his recent body of work does make a compelling case for selection. And you could say he's a better player now than what he was when he first debuted for Australia. Marcus Harris, well, he got the blessing of Warner. He's always been in the squad. He can score quicker than Bancroft and Renshaw, for that matter. And Renshaw's got top-order runs, but a lot of his runs have been in the middle order too, most recent times in Shield cricket. Yeah, Mitch Marsh has been mentioned. Marnus has been mentioned. Travis Head, they've all been floated. The man I think they'll go with is Cameron Green. Shane Watson came out and said, well, if, if I could do it, Cam Green can do it. And it's clear they want to get him back on the side. Generational talent. Better equipped technically than Marsh to do it. And has been endorsed by the likes of Greg Chappell and others. And Mark Taylor said, well, you know, he'd plump for a specialist opener. But if not, he, he could warm to somebody like Cam Green opening the batting. So there's a few things the selectors have to consider. Who will be the best option? Not just for Australian conditions, but overseas conditions. Ricky Ponting made this point. If you're picking somebody now, you're picking him just for the two West Indies tests, or you're looking beyond that. So who is best equipped to do it in overseas conditions, namely India and England? And further to that, who can get the scoring rate going? Because there are a few times, that, you know, with Usman and Manus, I saw them and you think to yourself, gee, I wouldn't mind them just, just upping that run rate a bit. And I'm big admirers of both men. Yeah, this is the way in modern cricket, you almost have to pick someone who can advance a game quickly. We've got that in five and six. But if we pick a bloke who can only go at 40 or 50 per 100 balls, Warner's absence will be keenly felt. And look, I know we've had this discussion plenty of times, but look, in light of everything, with Smith now an option, for example, to open the batting, and we'll speak to Dan Cherney later on in the program, he wrote about this, who would you pick? Who would you pick? And as the Beatles sang on a hard day's night, tell me why. Because this was the thing that this story snuck up on everyone during that third test at the SCG. Really, really interesting stuff. And we learned that Smith had actually pushed his case to be Warner's replacement before he made the idea public. What about that? So Andrew McDonald said that what Smith offers at first or second drop has to be taken into account. And he's, he's average at three. is even better than his average at four. So Smith's comments, you know, that took a few people by surprise. Not unexpected, according to Andrew McDonald, who said that Smith had been canvassing support for a move in recent weeks. And what does it say about his mindset, Steve Smith? Some are saying, look, he needs this as a new challenge. He's done it in white ball cricket. So his willingness, Steve Smith, to move up the order, perhaps as a, a circuit breaker to end that indifferent form, would, I guess, solve a problem for Australia, given the supposed, supposed reluctance of somebody like a Travis Head or a Mitch Marsh or a Manus Labuschagne to move from their respective roles. And none of them want to do it. I mean, they would if asked, of course. But I thought what Andrew McDonald said was, was interesting, if not particularly revealing, just with regards to Smith. He said, look, he made those public. By those public, he means the comments about opening the batting. We'll consider all options. Nice to have him putting his hand up. There's a few others that weren't putting their hand up. What does that mean? Steve at three or four is appetising also. You've got to make sure you're not removing the strengths of a team in the search to fill a gap. That's true. There's many different ways, says McDonald, to play as an opener. We've been lucky in having Warner. Sometimes people 
that play that way aren't exactly replaceable. There's not another Warner out there. So read between the lines. Is he saying are they then giving up their search for a like-for-like replacement? It was fantastic to see the way and intent that he played Warner in a small and tricky run chase. That wasn't easy. The ability to put pressure back on the bowler, it was a joy to watch. That'll be considered in terms of what we look for in an opener, but it's more so what we look for in the top seven batters. So is it all a movable feast? Do you pick your best six batters and just jam them in there somehow? He said you can have a complementary skill sets within that and how they operate and function. No doubt you want some players within that order to be able to put pressure back on the bowler. We've seen Travis do that with great success. So make, what do you decipher from those comments in terms of which way he's going to go? But just on Cameron Green, this is what Andrew McDonald said to Nine News yesterday in and around potential selection of Cameron Green. I think Cameron Green's potentially underrated in, in the way that he can play at test level as well. We know he's got those gears. We know that he can play the high and the low. Um, yeah, and he's you know, arguably in our best, you know, best liner, depending on which way we go. What does that tell you? That he's got to get him, stuff him in the order somehow, Cam Green. And then from Cam Green to his West Australian compatriot, Cam Bancroft, who insists that he's ready and has learnt his lessons. It's something that I really want. You know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, physically, you know, mentally and emotionally, you know, ready to take that opportunity. The past has been a, a great ground for me to, you know, learn things about, about myself and feel like I definitely, you know, owe it to my country to put those lessons into play, try to apply them to all aspects of my life and make me a, a better person and, you know, cricketer in the process. How would you feel if selectors went with a non-traditional opener? Naturally, I would feel disappointed, obviously. Some players have been able to transition and go to the, go to the top and, and do really well, but, um, uh, yeah, look... I feel like it's probably a, you know, specialist position, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's not my call, and they're not my decisions. Cameron Bancroft speaking to Nine News yesterday, so you're naturally disappointed. Of course, you'd say that. Needs to be a specialist. Of course, you'd say that. But I, I just keep circling back to what Andrew McDonald had to say about Cam Green. Any clues as to which way they go? As I said, my money's on Green. And I guess the follow-up question there is, well, where does he play? Does he open with Green or does he open with Smith and bat Green at four, for example? For his shield numbers, he averages over 50 batting four in shield cricket. Fascinating debate. and gives us something to talk about in the lead-up to the two-test West Indies series. 0457 736 736. We have posted a Twitter poll on the Matt White Twitter page today, at Matty White SEN. I know we've talked about this countless times, but in light of what you know now, with Smith throwing his hat into the ring, who should be named as Warner's replacement as opener. At Matty White, SEN. Steve Smith, Cameron Bancroft, Cameron Green, or other, which would incorporate, of course, the likes of Marcus Harris and Matt Renshaw. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number to the Big Bash last night. We had a belter, and the crowds are up too. Crowds are up, ratings are up. Less is more. By shaving it back to, what, 40-odd matches this year, even more next year. Well, naturally speaking, each match is going to be imbued with a hell of a lot more meaning. Brisbane Heat. Go the Heat. They've beaten the Hurricanes by one run. They remain undefeated. They've wrapped up now the Heat. A final spot was a rate-interrupted low-scoring thriller at the Gabba. So Hobart needed 13 from the final over. Got a six off the first, three off the final ball. I think the equation was five or four, and they bottled it. Should be winning from there. 
Nathan Ellis could manage just to single off the last ball as uh, Hurley, Paddy Dooley was run out. So the Hurricanes restricted the heat to 7 for 132, 4 for 22 in reply. And then that target uh, for the rain delay revised to 118 from 16 overs. But the heat deserved the win. Xavier Bartlett, big unit, beautiful head of hair he has too. Xavier Bartlett, gorgeous. Excellent with the ball, taking three for 30. Tonight we've got the Thunder and the Scorchers. As we mentioned, a bit of rain predicted for Sydney. I'll be calling that game alongside Dougie Bollinger. Now, Thunder out of the finals race, but Perth, I think they're sitting in fourth at the moment, last time I checked. Been the benchmark for the past few years in the Big Bash competition, looking to cement a spot in the finals as well. There is so much happening in the Brisbane International. Elena Rybakina trounced. The defending Australian Open champion, Irina Sabalenka, 6-love, six, 6-3. Six, she has taken out the Brisbane international title for the women's. And in the men's, Gregor Dimitrov, well done to Gregor, claimed his first ATP Tour title since 2017. He beat, pardon me, he beat Holger Rune in straight sets in the men's final. Germany defeated Poland to win the United Cup. And tournaments in Adelaide and Hobart get underway this week before the Australian Open on the weekend. But listen, I touched upon Alex Dimonor, top of the program. Keep a close watch on this kid through this year. I just love the way he plays. Just gives everything. Risen a 10th now. 10th in the world following that three-set win over Zverev. So he's officially going to be a top 10 player with the release of the rankings today. Another milestone. Worked hard for it. And I spoke, I'll speak to Brett Phillips again today. I touched upon this a couple of weeks ago with the BP in terms of the improvements in his game. Rushing the net, his serve has improved exponentially. But this is the thing, and probably speaks to the gulf in top-quality Australian tennis players. And Kyrgios aside, because of his injuries. But Demon All becomes the first Australian man to make his top-10 debut since Leighton cracked that group in May 2000. It's been that long. It also ends a near 18-year wait for an Australian presence there. Hewitt was last inside the top-10 in July 2006. So a long time between drinks. He began the season ranked 24. He scored seven top ten wins in his career to that point, six in 2023 alone. Won his first ATP 500 title in Acapulco, reached his first Masters 1000 final in Toronto. Then you add to that this week's United Cup results, nine of the top ten players he has beaten in the past 12 months. And that was a knock on him. He couldn't beat the top tenners. The question now for Alex is, can he push beyond sort of round of 16 and get to consistently the quarterfinals, or maybe even semifinals, or final? For Grand Slam. He's hoping. 0457 736 736. He's just a fierce determination to succeed. And he's only 24. He's only 24. Now we'll keep an eye on Jason Day as well. This is in the century. At the moment I can see. So Kirk, Chris Kirkley's at minus 25. Jason Day, well he got up to 22 under. He's dropped a couple of strokes. So he's dropped back unfortunately Jay Day. He's through nine today at 20 under. So he's five off the lead now. In the century, Jason Day. Oh, just very quickly before we get to our first break, back to cricket. Cricket, uh, congratulations, Elise Perry, the greatest. She's the goat of women's cricket. Elise celebrated her 300th international game in style. She steered Australia to a six-wicket win over India. This is in the second T20 international. So, of course, they lost the test. They swept the ODI portion of that tour. It was a low target. They were chasing 131. And Elise, an unbeaten 31 from 21 balls, including a six that sealed victory with an over to spare. And the thing about it is, and she was asked about this at least, first Aussie cricketer get to 300 international appearances. She goes, well, 400 might be feasible. She's 33. Our greatest female cricketer ever. You wouldn't back against her, would you? You wouldn't back against her. And in the FA Cup, Liverpool defeated Arsenal 2-0. The Gunners not 
on great form, not in great form at the moment. Not a lot going on in rugby league, but NRL did something interesting about the great improvers. You might discuss that after the break. Up and running for SEN Summer Mornings on this Monday, 0457 736 736. Jill's in the chair for Matty White. We'll take our first break.